I think that wonderful four-letter word hope there is something that Joseph always had. He never gave up on God. He always had hope. And it says, whatsoever things were written aforetime, that means in the past, were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. I feel sorry for those who don't have the Scriptures, who don't believe the Bible, because with the Scriptures comes wonderful, wonderful hope. And the same God that Joseph served, we serve, and He's timeless. And God wants to teach us through these truths how to overcome. The Bible says that the gospel of Christ is the power of God unto salvation. Welcome to Pulpit Power, featuring Pastor Tony Skeving, Senior Pastor of Fargo Baptist Church in Fargo, North Dakota. Today's message was previously preached before a church audience. And now, here's Pastor Skeving. Let's take our Bibles, please, at this time and turn to the book of Genesis and the 41st chapter. Genesis chapter 41. This whole series started several chapters back, really, when there was a young man by the name of Joseph, just a teenager, 17 years of age, who determined to live for the king. And we find him against much opposition, still going forward and overcoming. That's what we've been talking about. His brothers hated him, sold him into Egyptian bondage. There he kind of made the best of it until he was falsely accused and wound up in prison. But he stays faithful. And we've watched him stay faithful now for these past weeks. And, well, today it's going to pay off. We're going to start with just one verse here in Genesis 41, and that is verse 1. It says, And it came to pass at the end of two full years that Pharaoh dreamed, and behold, he stood by the river. This is the springboard to bigger and better things for Joseph. Finally, he's going to get out of that prison, and he's going to see his dreams fulfilled as he does the will of God, but only because he was able to overcome. And that's what we're talking about, how to overcome. Let's pray before we begin. Our Heavenly Father, we ask you, dear Lord, to bless this time in thy word. And we pray now that you'd help us to listen carefully. There are many who are at crossroads in their lives right now and need this. Others who have come through things and could have used it. And yet, all of us who will one day need these truths. And so I pray now that we listen with all of our hearts, take in these principles from thy word. And Father, I pray that as a result, we'd be able to overcome. We ask now all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, as we read these stories in the Bible, there's a reason God put them here. They're not just filling up space. We find out that God doesn't put the emphasis on the narrative, but he puts the emphasis on the people. And these are people who just lived at a different time in history, but they're people who are just like us. They've come through it. We're going through it right now. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 10, 11, now all these things happened unto them for examples. And they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. That's us. These are the end times. I think if you know your Bible at all, you know we're living in the last days. And, and more than ever, we need to look at those characters of the Bible, those truths taught from their life, and learn from those truths because all these things happened unto them for examples. And they were written for our admonition, not theirs, they're long dead, but for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. And so we need to read and relate, and read and relate, and read and relate to ourselves. God worked through their lives, and God in the same way wants to work through our lives here in the 21st century. I've said this many times, God's always up to something. 
I mean, we might get docile and apathetic, kind of hang out and sit around. Never God. God is always up to something. And God is never content to let us stay status quo. Let us stay where we're at right now. And just coast and just sit. No, no. He wants to take us to the next level. And He'll rile us up to do that. And He did that in the life of Joseph. And as you read through the life of Joseph, it's not something for speed reading. It's not something you, you read through quickly and, and, uh, and just not connect yourselves to it all. But it's something that you, you put yourself in his place. It's something that you walk in his sandals. And it's something that as you look at his life, you learn some truths from it. We read in Romans 15, 4, that whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. I think that wonderful four-letter word hope there is something that Joseph always had. He never gave up on God. He always had hope. And it says, whatsoever things were written aforetime, that means in the past, were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. I feel sorry for those who don't have the Scriptures, who don't believe the Bible, because with the Scriptures comes wonderful, wonderful hope. And the same God that that Joseph served, we serve, and he's timeless. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And God wants to teach us through these truths how to overcome. We've seen Joseph do it. We've seen him, first of all, surviving abuse. Perhaps the worst abuse, rejection. He was rejected of his brothers, but he survived that. We see him, secondly, sidestepping allurement and Potiphar's wife coming after him and trying to seduce him and him saying, No. We see him thirdly suffering accusation. She turned it around and said it was his idea, and he had to overcome that. But that's not all. We see fourthly his slipping anticipation. He got a little ray of hope there in that prison when the butler and the baker showed up, and he thought, this is it. This is how I'm going to get out of here. But they let him rot in that jail, and they didn't say anything. The butler didn't when he got out. So we see that slipping anticipation. And then fifthly, we've been talking about a societal admiration. Now it's one thing to overcome the other things, but how is he going to overcome this societal admiration now when he goes from last to first, when he rises to the top? This social applause that he's suddenly going to get. Mark Twain, I think, was the one who said that many a man can overcome adversity, but he said not very many can survive prosperity and success, because it can go to the head and the heart, and we can get a big head. It's called pride. And it's just as dangerous as the temptations, in fact, perhaps more so. It was pride that brought Lucifer down. When, when Lucifer, the anointed cherub, was overseeing the throne of God and, and the most beautiful thing that God created, it went to his head, and he got proud. You know, somebody said that greatness is built down in the valleys. And Joseph's been in the valleys up to now. It's not built on the mountaintop. Anybody can, can slide when they're successful. But when we have to go against resistance, there's something about it that toughens us up. And Joseph has gone against all that, but now he's prospering. That's the part we want. We don't want the adversity. We don't want the struggles. We don't want the suffering. But it's much better for us than the prosperity because success can change people. And money can change people. And if you don't believe me, you haven't been around long. I've seen it change a number of people. Joseph is about to prosper. All right, he's got his suffering over with. Now how, he's, how is he going to handle prosperity? We find here in chapter 41 and verse 1, it says, And it came to pass at the end of two full years that 
Pharaoh dreamed, and behold, he stood by the river. You say, what river is that? It's the Nile. I've been to it. It flows north just like our red. It looks a lot like the Red River. It's really mucky and muddy and reminds me an awful lot of the river that, that separates North Dakota and Minnesota right over here. But, but Pharaoh's dreaming a dream. He's standing by that river. And we find out that Joseph's still in the dungeon when this is all going on. In fact, he has no idea what's going on. As far as he knows, he's there for life and he's never going to get out. But we find out that Pharaoh dreams a dream. And in his dream... There's these seven really beautiful big cows that come up out of the river. And the Bible calls them kind. They're heifers. And then there's these sickly little heifers that come up out of the river. Skinny, scrawny little cows. And they just kind of eat up the big, thick, fat cows. I don't know how it looked, but you've had some weird dreams like that, haven't you? And and so they just kind of suck them in and they're gone. And then we find out that the dream goes on, and in his dream, there's a stalk of of corn that comes up, and it's got these seven really nice ears of corn on it, and then these seven really scrawny ears of corn, and the scrawny ears of corn eat up the good ears of corn, and I think Pharaoh wakes up in a cold sweat, and what in the world is going on? He has this dream. We would call it a nightmare. Well, in verse number 9, he tells it to his cabinet there, and the chief butler speaks up, and he said, Oh, yeah, yeah, okay, now I remember. There was something I didn't tell you years ago, boss. He said, when you threw the butler and the baker into the prison there, he, he said, we had dreams, and there was this Jewish young man there, and he interpreted our dreams for us, and what he said came to pass. Exactly. He said that uh, you, you hung the baker, but you, you spared me. And you restored me to my position. And we pick it up in verse number 14. It says, Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they brought him hastily out of the dungeon, and he shaved himself and changed his raiment and came in unto Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, I have dreamed a dream, and there is none that can interpret it. And I have heard say of thee that thou canst understand a dream to interpret it. And Joseph answered Pharaoh, saying, It is not in me, God shall give Pharaoh an answer of peace. Notice they scramble to get Joseph out of that prison. He shaves himself. I don't know how long his beard was at this point. But he takes a shower and he comes in and he stands before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh says, you're that guy I've heard about. You're a Hebrew young man. And you can interpret dreams. And Joseph says, well, no, I I really can't. But God can. But notice the point here is this. Joseph is ready for this. Now, if he'd have been like the average Christian, he'd have been backslidden. He wouldn't have been reading his Bible. He wouldn't have been praying. In fact, he'd have been sulking. But Joseph hasn't been doing any of that. We find out here he is ready, he is confident, and he has been in touch with God. In verse number 17, And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, In my dream, behold, I stood upon the bank of the river. And he goes on and, and he repeats the whole thing. And you skip down to verse 25. And Joseph said unto Pharaoh, The dream of Pharaoh is one. God has showed Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good kind are seven years. And the seven good years are seven years. The dream is one. And the seven thin and ill-favored kind that came up after them are seven years. And the seven empty ears blasted with the east wind shall be seven years of famine. This is the thing which I have spoken unto Pharaoh. What God is about to do, he showeth unto Pharaoh. Behold, There come seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt. And there shall arise after them seven years of famine. And all the plenty shall be forgotten in the land of Egypt. And the famine shall consume the land. 
And the plenty shall not be known in the land by reason of that famine following, for it should be very grievous. And for that the dream was doubled unto Pharaoh twice. It is because the thing is established by God, and God will shortly bring it to pass. So he interprets the dream perfectly. It's going to be seven years of plenty followed by seven years of famine. And Joseph has prophesied, but he turns from prophet to advisor. And I'm sure that Pharaoh at this point is standing back going, who is this guy? You ever wonder that about some people? Who is this guy? (laughs) I mean, he's a Hebrew. He's not even an Egyptian. He's not an old man. He's a young man. And yet he's got all the answers here. And he goes from being prisoner to advising the king. Notice in verse number 33. Now, therefore, this is Joseph talking yet, let Pharaoh look out a man discreet and wise and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh do this and let him appoint officers over the land and take up the fifth part of the land of Egypt in the seven plenteous years and let them gather all the food of those good years that come and lay up corn under the hand of Pharaoh and let them keep food in the cities and that food shall be for store to the land against the seven years of famine which shall be in the land of Egypt that the land perish not through the famine. Now we find here Joseph saying, here's what you need to do. He not only told him what's coming, but he said, here's what you ought to do. And again, I'm sure Pharaoh's going, who in the world is it? Where did he come from? And how did he get all the answers? How did he get all the answers? Well, it's called wisdom. Wisdom, 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 wisdom. So, so precious, this thing called wisdom. We read in Proverbs 1 where wisdom crieth without, basically saying, get in here, (laughs) get some of me. Boy, people lack wisdom. You know, the world pursues money and the, the world pursues degrees and the world pursues education and the world pursues careers. The world pursues sports and materialism and the world pursues sex and fame and entertainment and drugs and booze and all kinds of things. But there are so few that are pursuing wisdom. When it comes to wisdom, the world goes, huh, what, Ho oh, hum you know, who needs it? But really, God puts this premium on it. Young people have this, uh, this saying, they say such and such rules. You ever heard that? This rules, that rules. Folks, wisdom rules. When it comes right down to it, what we need is wisdom. Psalm 111 and verse 10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all they that do His commandments. We have to know what the commandments are. We have to know the Word of God. That's the source of wisdom. But when we do it, there's a wisdom that God gives, and it begins with the fear of the Lord. It says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The Bible says all kinds of things about wisdom. It says it's better than rubies. Uh, it says happy is the man that findeth it. It says ask of God, and he giveth to all men liberally. The Bible says search for wisdom like you would hidden treasure. And we find people in the Bible with real wisdom. Solomon, oh my, what wisdom he had. Daniel, there was a very wise man. Stephen, the Bible says in the New Testament, had such a wisdom that they couldn't withstand him. They, they said, we've got to kill him. We can't, we can't get him when, when in, the, in the area of wisdom. And then there was Joseph. Joseph was wise. He had wisdom. And he, he gives advice to the king, no less. We find out in verse number 37, And the thing was good in the eyes of Pharaoh and in the eyes of all his servants. And Pharaoh said unto his servants, Can we find such a one as this, a man in whom the Spirit of God is? 
Now, if it had been me and I'd have been Joseph, I'd have been going, how about me? I don't think Joseph was doing that, but it was so obvious. I mean, duh, who's the one who knew what the dream meant? Who was the one who gave the advice on how to follow up on it? And, and, and here's, here's Pharaoh kind of, duh, you know, I wonder who we can find that'll do something like this. Well, in verse number 39, Pharaoh said unto Joseph, For as much as God hath showed thee all this, there is none so discreet and wise as thou art. Thou shalt be over my house, and according unto the word shall all, thy word shall all my people be ruled. Only in the throne will I be greater than thou. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, See, I have set thee over all the land of Egypt. And in a moment, folks, Joseph goes from a prison to a palace. From last to first, to this thing I call societal admiration. He's a household word. He's the toast of the land. Everybody's going to be talking about Joseph here. And here he is at age 30, really running the world. And I only want to say this. It all paid off. Everything we've been talking about in these last weeks finally comes to fruition and folks, if, if we in the same way would just keep our hearts right like Joseph did, if we just put our heads down like Joseph did, if we would just forge forward like he did and be faithful here, we could be blessed as well. We find here that God promotes Joseph. God is the promoter. We read in Psalm 75, 6, For promotion cometh neither from the east, nor from the west, nor from the south, but God is the judge. There are a lot of people who use this verse, by the way, to say that heaven's to the north or heaven is up because that's where God is. And promotion doesn't come from any other direction but God. God was planning this all along, promoting Joseph to this place. He had promised to Joseph's great grandpa Abraham back in Genesis 15 that the day is coming when I'm going to move the children of Israel from that Canaan land, that promised land there, and I'm going to have to get them over to Egypt and preserve them there for several hundred years. And so God had all this planned here. In fact, God was not only working in Joseph's own life, He was not only working in the lives of his brothers, in the life of, of Jacob, his dad, in the life of a nation, all of Israel, but in the future Messiah. This all plays into the Messiah, Jesus Christ coming. You see, God looks way ahead. We need to understand that. I've uh, compared it many times to a blueprint. And we know what that is. It's something that builders build off of. And it just gives all the detail. I think every child of God has a blueprint in heaven. If you can just picture it that way. I believe that uh, here in the 21st century, on this date that I am to be uh, in Fargo, North Dakota, standing in this pulpit, living where I live, driving what I drive, uh, doing what I'm doing, and not only here but around the world as far as uh, active missions work we're in. And, and that's all part of God's blueprint for my life, for this church's life. And uh, your life is involved in that as well. But you have a blueprint. God had a blueprint for Joseph. Joseph stayed faithful and in the will of God. I'm sure he didn't understand everything that was going on, but he just kept going forward. And folks, what a lesson to us. I mean, to you and to me, just stay faithful. Don't quit. Don't park. Don't go get over to the side. I'm sure that as Joseph struggled through this, he didn't whine. He didn't pout. He didn't complain. And he didn't get bitter. Boy, people get bitter when stuff like this happens. He stayed faithful. 
in the midst of the, uh, the favoritism of his dad that brought on the jealousy of his brothers and the hatred of his brothers and the hatred that sold him into slavery and the false accusation by Potiphar's wife and time in the dungeon, Joseph stayed faithful through all those injustices, yea, with even a right attitude. It's one thing to endure. It's one thing to go through those kind of things. But to go through them with a good attitude. Joseph was faithful no matter what the circumstances were. You know, there are a lot of people that judge God's goodness by their circumstances. I think we're guilty of that from time to time. We say, oh, bless God, the cupboard's full, the kids are healthy, no hospital bills, house is paid off, everything's going wonderful. Ain't God good? Well, what if the cupboards are bare? What if the kids are sick? And what if the hospital bills are racked up? And the car needs an overhaul, and the house is in arrears, and, and uh, you're, you're on the verge of bankruptcy. Is God still good then? You know, why do we put God in this box and say if everything's going great, God's good? And if it's not, well, I'm not sure about it. Fact of the matter is, no matter what, God is good. We read in Nahum 1.7, the Lord is good. A stronghold in the day of trouble. And he knoweth them that trust in him. Am I one of those? Are you one of those? That trust in him no matter how it's going. Do we still say the Lord is good? No matter what. You know, when trials come, really there are several reasons spiritually why they come. Sometimes they're the result of our own sin, and, and if not most of the time, we don't, we don't normally look that direction, but if the truth were told, you know, we're reaping what we've sown, and that's one reason. Or secondly, God's trying to get our attention. And sometimes we just get so enamored with life and the world and just buzzing through at breakneck speed that God's got to say, whoa, hey, wait a minute, and cross, cause something to cross our path that'll get our attention. Sometimes trials come in order to teach us patience. Oh, we get impatient, don't we? And God says, well, you need to learn some patience here. And fourthly, sometimes trials come in order for the Lord to draw us closer unto Himself. He wants to have that relationship. He wants us to just believe in Him, and no matter what happens, keep serving Him. There's a verse in Psalm 37, 34 that says, Wait on the Lord and uh, keep His way, and He shall exalt thee. Notice it says, wait on the Lord. And we think, well, that just means just pause and wait this thing out. But that's not what it's talking about. That Hebrew word there for wait is a very interesting word. In fact, we get our word waiter from it or waitress from it. And it's talking about actually how a waiter or a waitress comes up to your table at the restaurant and they serve you. May I help you? Could I get you something? Your glass is half full. Can I fill that? And that's really what the word wait there means in the Hebrew. To wait or serve or wait on the Lord and keep His way and He shall exalt thee. And that's exactly what happened to Joseph. God finally exalted him. He just kept serving in the midst of all of his adversity. I mean, he's in a prison. He's serving other prisoners. He's serving the butler and the baker as they come in there. And now he's paid the price. He's earned his stripe. And God blesses him for it. Notice here in chapter 41 and verse 41. It says, And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, See, I have set thee over all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh took off his ring from his hand, and he put it upon Joseph's hand, and arrayed him in vestures of fine linen, and put a gold chain about his neck, and he made him to ride in the second chariot which he had. And they cried before him, Bow the knee! And he made him ruler over all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without thee 
shall no man lift up his hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zaphnapaniah. I, I kind of prefer Joseph. And he gave to him his wife uh, As, Asenath, the daughter of Apotropara, the, the priest of On. And Joseph went out over all the land of Egypt. And Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went throughout all the land of Egypt. You talk about a promotion. <laughs> when God promotes, nobody can demote. And when God demotes, nobody can promote. And we see some, some characters in the Bible demoted, like Lucifer. He goes from heaven to boot. And we find guys like Haman trying to exalt himself. And we find him getting the boot. And we find a, a loser like King Saul. And God demotes him. And we find Samson and his carnality. Uh, God says, you're no longer fit to be the judge of Israel. And he demotes him. And God can demote, but God can promote as well. And we've seen God promote guys like David, a little shepherd boy, to being king over Israel. And we've seen God promote guys like Daniel, who comes to Babylon as a teenager and a Jew at that, and he becomes a president there in a heathen land. And we see here Joseph as well. God can demote, God can promote. And we find now that Joseph is promoted, and Pharaoh has put all of Egypt into the hands of a Jewish slave. I want you to think about that. A Hebrew slave is now running the world. And we find in these verses that we just read that Joseph receives a ring, a robe, a rank, a ride in a chariot, a reputation, a romance, gets a wife, and he goes from rags to riches, basically, all in one swoop, because truth has triumphed. I like that. Now, God orchestrated all this. I mean, Jacob wasn't the best dad in the world, but God used that. And the brothers of Joseph, oh, they, they were the pits, but God used that. And God used the Ishmaelites to get Joseph over to Egypt. He used Potiphar to buy Joseph off the auction block there. He used Potiphar's wife to be the hussy and the tramp that she was and to try and seduce Joseph. Uh, he uses that butler and that baker, and now he's using Pharaoh. I mean, God's orchestrating all this stuff. It's marvelous to see how God puts this all together here. God's timing is perfect, folks. God's ways are perfect. We read in Psalm 18.30, As for God, His way is perfect. And He is a buckler to all those that trust in Him. That word buckler there, speaking of a piece of armor, something that we need in the spiritual warfare we're in. It says, as for God, His way is perfect. This has all taken 13 years to unfold. I want you to think about that block of time. From the time you started kindergarten till the time you graduated as a senior. By the way, that was the longest period in my life. <laughs> Believe me. 13 years. All that time we find out here now, Joseph has been in prison. And I also find from this, God's not in any hurry. God doesn't need to rush. He's timeless. Sometimes we want to rush. But God's in no hurry here. And we find out here that that dream that Joseph had back yonder when he was a teenager is about to unfold here. There are many who would have given up before it come to this. There are many who would have messed up. Many of us who would have messed up before it comes to this. But not Joseph. Joseph just left the details to God. Folks, how about if we just leave it all up to God as well? Do you have your own plans 
I hope you do. We should. Do you have your own goals like, like Joseph did? Well, you should. Joseph had dreams. Remember that? Joseph had a vision. And when I talk about goals and dreams and desires and vision, I'm talking about sanctified ones, spiritual ones, not worldly ones. Many a teenager, oh, I want to be a rock star. You don't get it. Next, that's not what it's about, okay? When we talk about having dreams, we're talking about sanctified dreams. We're talking about spiritual dreams. Do you have a dream? Well, the Bible tells us in Proverbs 29, 18, where there is no vision, the people perish. In other words, a God-given vision for your life. Do you have that? I mean, what God could do through you, what God wants to do through you. God had plans for Joseph. He wanted to do some things through the life of Joseph. Joseph hung in there until they were realized. Joseph never let go of his dreams. Never. And he's about to see those dreams fulfilled. He got them as a teenager. And young people, I pray that your dreams, your ambitions would match God's ambitions and God's dreams. If you have some kind of worldly aspirations, put a match to them. Get a hold of God and what He wants you to do with your life and do it. Do it. I've often said to, to seek the will of God is life's greatest adventure. To find the will of God is life's greatest discovery. And to do the will of God is life's greatest achievement. Plain and simple. Joseph never lost sight of the will of God for his life. God put him through school. And He'll do that to us. You may be in that school right now. Some of you right now are going through it and you might not realize what God is trying to do in your life. Just hang in there. Trust in God. You might have situations with uh, schooling right now that are unpleasant. You might have situations uh, with, with work or with a relationship or with your family or whatever it might be. But those things are for a reason. Never forget that. There are no accidents with God. All things work together for good to them that love God. And get through that class. Don't flunk out. I see some Christians who keep repeating kindergarten and then finally they advance beyond that and they, they flunk first grade a few times and then they finally get up to third grade but they flunk that a few times and they keep repeating, stay with the program. Let God teach us what we, what we need to learn and just keep on going forward. Joseph submitted to the will of God at every level of life. Whatever he was going through, he just hung in there and he excelled. And that's the reason why by age 30, get a hold of this, He's the king of the world. In a nutshell, I mean, Pharaoh's a figurehead. Joseph is running the world. You know, every person who lives to any age in life has that time when uh, suddenly they're older than the president of the United States. It happened to me recently. It's kind of like, whoa, <laughs> this guy's younger than me. Imagine Joseph at age 30 running the world. I mean, he prospered and he went to the top because of really two things, obedience and submission to the will of God. He was obedient to God. He was submissive to the will of God. I stop there and I ask you, is there any area in your life where you are not being submissive right now or not being obedient to the will of God? Is there anything that comes to mind that uh, you're doing and you know that God doesn't approve of it or you're not doing it, but you, you know God wants you to? Anything in my life, anything in your life that we know we haven't surrendered in. We are not submitting in. We are not being obedient in this particular area. You know, we find out when it really is all said and done, all life is about for a Christian is doing what God wants us to do. Obeying what God tells us to do. That's the only reason Jesus lived. 
We find in John 6.38, he said, For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. The will of him that sent me. Well, who would that be? That's God the Father. Jesus said, I came down not to do my own thing, but to do his thing, to do the will of the Father. The Bible tells us in Philippians 2.8, of Christ being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Imagine that. He humbled himself and became obedient, even unto death, and not just any death, the worst death a man could die, even the death of the cross. He suffered on the cross. He went to Calvary for our sins. He died in our place. He took our hell, basically. You know, there are people all over this world trying to work their way to heaven when the price has already been paid, when the blood has already been shed. They say, well, I, I, I got baptized as a baby and I think I got it covered. Or I, uh, I, I have taken communion. Or I've uh, been confirmed. Or I'm living a good life. I'm, I'm obeying the golden rule. That's not how you get saved. You are saved in through and by the shed blood of Jesus Christ on Calvary's cross. And if Christ had not been willing to submit to the will of the Heavenly Father who sent His Son to this earth to die for our sins, we'd be lost and without hope. Have you had a time in your life when you realize you can't work your way to heaven? It's not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to His mercy that He saved us. For by grace, the Bible says, through faith, you're saved. Not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, and not of works, lest any man should boast. There'll be nobody bragging in heaven about how they earn their way there. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. It's all by the finished work of Jesus Christ on Calvary's cross. You can have a ton of religion but not an ounce of salvation. And man is incurably religious and trusting in so many things to get him into the presence of God when only the shed blood of Christ will get you in the presence of God and faith in that shed blood. Jesus called it being born again. Have you had a time in your life when you were born again the Bible way? It all boils down to the submission of Christ and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. So he's gone through it. He's obeyed. But folks, in a nutshell, salvation is basically an obedience to the Word of God. The Lordship of Jesus Christ in our life. There are a lot of people, they talk about being born again, but the evidence is not there at all in their life. They have never submitted. They have never surrendered. The obedience never happened. And they want their cake and eat it too. They want to go to heaven when they die, but they don't want to repent of their sin. Bottom line is the Lordship of Christ at salvation, making Him king, taking self off throne, putting Christ up there, and surrendering to Him with our life. Well, we find Joseph overcoming a number of things here, and we've talked about those five. The last one being what I call spiteful animosity. He had to overcome some real bitterness now that, that he could have had toward his brothers because now as he's giving out food there in Egypt, guess who's going to show up? And now, the shoe's on the other foot, and the knife is to their throat. And he could have been bitter about this. He could have been spiteful about this. He could have been haunted for years by those memories of this horrible injustice. How will he react to this? As his brothers show up and do bow before him, not recognizing him, Joseph is going to remember his dreams and say, this is the fulfillment of it, and now I can get them. I'm going to get them. Well, he doesn't do any of that. We find out that he forgave them. And we find out that he not only forgave them, but he helped them. 
and he fed them for many years to come. We're going to pick up with this later on as we talk about this spiteful animosity, and we're going to finish it this evening actually here. But in closing, I just want you to remember that Jesus Christ uh, is a parallel of Joseph. Joseph is a picture of Christ. And we find out that Christ is our example. Christ is our pattern. And Jesus Christ went to that cross in obedience so that we could be born again. And the Bible says, whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And so we'll finish later on today talking about this. You've been listening to Pastor Tony Skeving of the Fargo Baptist Church in Fargo, North Dakota. If you would like a CD of today's message, you can obtain one by sending a gift of $2 to Fargo Baptist Church, 3303 23rd Avenue South, Fargo, North Dakota, 58103. That address again, Fargo Baptist Church, 3303 23rd Avenue South, Fargo, North Dakota, 58103. We hope you'll join Pastor Skeving next time right here on Pulpit Power. Pulpit Power is a production of Heaven 88.7.